Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. K.T. Sullivan is a woman of many talents. The Broadway actress and singer is known for her many performances in musical theater and cabaret. Speaking of cabaret, K.T. also happens to be artistic director of the Mabel Mercer Foundation, a position she's held since 2012, and the foundation hosts the New York Cabaret Convention. For nearly 20 years, K.T. headlined at the Oak Room of the legendary Algonquin Hotel, and one of those performances, Rhyme, Women, and Song, was featured on WNET, New York City's public television station. She's headlined at New York City's Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, and has performed at 54 Below, the Kennedy Center in D.C., Spoleto Festival, and Australia's Adelaide Festival. There have been two tours of China as the star vocalist, with the Manhattan Symphony. Katie's also recorded six albums. I mentioned musical theater. Her Broadway credits include Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, Three Penny Opera with Sting, and a slew of roles off-Broadway and in regional theater. And last but not least, KT has twice been named one of the top 100 Irish Americans by Irish American Magazine. So, KT, welcome and thanks for joining me today. Great to be here, Sandy. So, I read that you were one of eight children born and raised in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plane. Yeah, uh, which happens to be a rather long distance from the Big Apple. It, it is. I, I first went to L.A. Um, I don't want to go there first. Yeah. I want to know what it was like to be one of eight. And uh, did you stand out because you well, I were... I was the oldest daughter. I had two older brothers. And I got my mother all to myself out on the farm, on a farm community, Boggy Depot near Texas. Okay. And she was a wonderful singer, composer, pianist. So I had her all to myself. Two older brothers, two younger brothers. And then two little sisters came along later. But I... They're kind of jealous of me because I got her to myself for a long time. So you inherited your mother's genes, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah. Did singing become, it in became, your childhood, a it, natural it, act it, for it you? Became, I don't remember not singing. Wow. It was, it was very early. And then mother taught us all singing, but uh, I got a little special attention. My mother will be 90, and she's doing a concert at Carnegie Recital Hall. Get out. Yeah. Oh, that is so great. Yeah, yeah. Is she performing with you? Yes. And four of the eight are professional singers. My sister Heather lives in Seattle, and she's a star performer on cruise ships um, and in jazz clubs in Seattle. My sister Stacy does a Peggy Lee concert, and Peggy Lee's Centennial is coming up next year. She does that around the country. Uh-huh. Uh, and my brother Tim is a, a country singer in Colorado. Do you all try to get to each other's we, performances? We do when we can, yeah. Are you We're the only New Yorker of the group? I'm, well, my sister Stacy is also. Moved to New York about, about eight years ago. Uh-huh. So... Then singing became a natural act for you. When did it dawn on you that you could maybe make a career out of this, separate from, you know, putting on shows in the barn in the well, back, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. You always have the dream that you can, but you always have maybe in the background, maybe I'll be a maybe a librarian or maybe I'll be a teacher. You're thinking about maybe I could be. Maybe I'll be a lawyer. Well, that, that didn't stay very long. Well, that sounds uh, awful. It sounds awful. I started reading about what lawyers do, and it sounded terrible. Uh, well, my husband was a judge, and I okay, couldn't okay. be bothered listening well, to what it, he it's did. Hard, it's hard. So I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. So that's when you decide you have to do it. That you decide you have to do it is one thing. If you don't have any talent, then it becomes <laughs> moot. You know, I would have loved to have been a singer, but my performances were only in the bathroom, okay. you know, in the shower. <laughs> so you did the school plays, right? Right. Um, I went to the University of Oklahoma. Majored in uh, yeah, and theater I, I had a lot of a lot of voice teachers uh, in New York and in L.A. Carla Faria, a wonderful opera singer here in, in New York. Uh, but when people hear my mother sing, they go, oh, that's your teacher. Because and that was... That's my what, what, And so she clearly encouraged she you. Did. When you graduated school, what happened next? L.A. I had a friend that was going to L.A. to study at Strasburg, and, and 
you, you can drive to L.A. You know, Oklahomans are used to driving. Mm-hmm. So I drove to L.A. with her, and I eventually got some jobs. You know, you, you audition for, for plays across America, in, in L.A. and in New York. I did my first job, 80, 1980, The Merry Widow with Roberta Peters at the St. Louis Municipal Opera. Oh, wow. And then... Uh, Sugar with Artie Johnson at Casa Mignon in Fort Worth. You audition for these shows in L.A. Yeah, that's or, crazy. Or Little um, Abner with Joe Namath at San Bernardino Civic Light Opera. Things like that. <laughs> great works. The great works. Do you want to have that um, um, in your eulogy that you, that you co-starred with Joe Namath? Well, my character's name was Apassionata von Climax. <laughs> <laughs> Tina Louise played it in the original on Broadway. No kidding. No kidding. I just can't. What, whatever. That's, whatever. That's an image. Yeah. Um, so, and work came relatively... Work came, commercials. My first trip to New York was also 1980 because I got a um, part in a commercial, Hershey's Kisses. Mm-hmm. I was the bride who couldn't say I do until I've had a Hershey's Kiss. <laughs> they couldn't find the girl they wanted in New York. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's Went what. to L.A. for auditions. I got it, and it was my first SAG, Screen Actors Guild, job. And I was flown first class to New York. Stayed at the Helmsley Palace. Thought it was always <laughs> going to be like that. <laughs> God bless Leona. <laughs> but that commercial was an acting job. I got a lot of acting jobs. Police squad, night court, mm-hmm. acting parts. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I was doing acting parts at the Old Globe Theater, for instance, I did an Alan Akeborn play for like three months, and I was at the Old Globe Theater, also did some Shakespeare. As I went off to do parts like that, I would miss singing. Mm-hmm. There's something, but singing is so elemental to my to my being. Yeah, the way it uh-huh. I would miss it. So it's almost as if you can't not I sing. I can't not sing. It was an easy way to make that transition from acting to musical theater or cabaret. Well, cabaret is is the transition because uh, musical theater you are acting, obviously, right, and you're playing roles. That's but in cabaret you're not playing a role; you are pretty much yourself. Yes, I was at a, a club in Los Angeles in the same year, but say eighty, eighty this year that. I had just done. Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. How old were you when we in 1980? I was born in 53, so I was like 26. I hadn't yet turned 27 okay. because I was um, born on Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did do those waitress jobs, you know, those singing waiters mm-hmm. jobs in Los, mm-hmm. Los Angeles Civic Light, uh, uh, Café del Opera, Sarno's, and studying opera. I was a good student. I wanted to do everything. I wanted to do Shakespeare. I wanted to do opera. I wanted to do opera. I'd want, until I got focused, you have to focus in order to, in order to make some. Mm-hmm. Headway in this business. Uh, so after doing these little roles here and there and everywhere, I was sitting in this little cafe. Della, they called it uh, Rose Cafe, Normandy and Melrose, with my then boyfriend, who was really I called my man friend because he was too old to be a boyfriend. <laughs> he was an actor. He wasn't a sugar daddy, was he? He wasn't. He was an okay. actor. So how can you? Okay, they, right. They, yeah, they hello. Usually, they usually There's can't an be. oxymoron. That, that usually can't be. He had worked at Arena Stage in in Washington. In fact, he was nominated for a Tony for. Death of a Salesman, later here in New York. But I was sitting next to him at this cafe. I'm singing Happy Birthday to someone. And this owner walks over to me and says, have you ever thought about doing a cabaret act? And I thought, oh, no, I'm a soprano. I I do opera. I do operetta. And um, I thought of nightclub singers just having low voices, like like Julie Wilson, Julie Mm -hmm, London, these mm -hmm, things. mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, no, that's not, not what I do. It scared me to death, the idea of singing to people. So intimately. Intimately. Yeah. So I like playing roles. I like getting dressed up and doing that. But this gentleman, Howard Witt, next to me said, have you ever heard Barbara Cook? <gasps> right. And mm-hmm. I, I said, no, I hadn't. She had performed at Arena Stage. He knew mm-hmm. her. And, and he had her album at home. He played for me this Better With a Band from Carnegie Hall. Oh, I can do that. Because mm. that's what I Oh, and I she was the queen of she cabaret. She was the queen. I saw her at Lincoln Center, and it was just extraordinary yeah. later in life, and she still hit it out of the park. Real, really sang. Yeah, yeah. And so 
And my first act in that club, the midnight show, over a year, over a year, every midnight, every Friday midnight, I did my show, put it together, found a pianist named Bobby Gorman, who had, who had been Stubby K's understudy in, in New York. And all it's also saying like this, was, isn't it? You know, <laughs> he did a great imitation of Merman. Okay. So I hear singing, and there's no one there. And he goes, you don't need analyzing. <laughs> and he sounded, and when he got dressed up, anyway, we had some fun. And he just said, just do some songs you love. About half the songs were from that album of Barbara Cook. So my first review, after nine months of playing this little cafe, 30 people, it's sat probably. First review in the, in the L.A. Denny News said that I had great potential, but I sang too many Barbara Cook songs. <laughs> but they didn't think that you were ripping her off. It no, wasn't It wasn't I mean, a negative review. Own, but I was just so inspired by her. And that, that's what changed my life because then I was able to focus on mm-hmm. this thing. Now, it was frightening at first to sing two people as opposed to... The a intimacy. Intimacy. Singing two people when you sing a song. That, that's, that is, um, can be scary. But once you do it, it mm-hmm. becomes the most fulfilling thing you've ever done. What's that like if you're on the stage and you're involved in the mm-hmm. song, but you're also looking at me, aren't you? Mm-hmm. And you're registering what I might be doing or thinking? I can do a laugh line to you. I can make a, make a joke to you. People don't tend to sit in front unless they want to be sung to. Hmm. Okay. So if you don't want to be sung to, you're going to sit farther back. Good point. Good point. So people up front really want to be part. A man might take a woman's hand across the table. Mm. It's a wonderful mm. On some level, you kind of find your calling when that yeah, happened. And this was sort of a match that... And then I came to, to New York in the mid-'80s and um, played Don't Tell Mama, Danny's Skylight Room, mm-hmm. Lex. Mm-hmm. And the first cabaret convention was 89. Donald Smith, who started the Mabel Mercer Foundation, saw me at Jan Wallman's. Where Jan Wallman's on 44th Street. I don't <laughs> She was down the so. village before that. No. But I did a Bart Howard show. Bart Howard, who wrote Fly Me to the Moon. Okay. A show of his. And Bart Howard came in to see me. We became friends. Bart Howard, I started singing his songs. And he left me his piano in his will. So I have his piano up there on the 44th Floor. I'm at the Manhattan Plaza. <laughs> if, and Donald okay. Smith saw me in that show. My first trip after I'd moved here. And Max Showalter, who played it, he played opposite Carol Channing, a lot of lot of dollies. He was Horace Van de Gelder. I'd met him in L.A. And he called me and said, would you like to go to the memorial for Mabel Mercer? And this was what year? She died in 85. I didn't say, who is Mabel Mercer? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. went on that stage at Town Hall mm-hmm. where people I would know later, including Bart Howard, Bobby Short. Mm-hmm. Elaine, Carlisle. Elaine mm-hmm. Stritch. Oh, wow. Dorothy Loudon. Wow. Wonderful composers that, that I knew, Danny Apollinar, Charles DeForest, Murray Grand. They were all on that stage, mm-hmm. memorial for her. Right, right, the right. was on the stage. So all those people I would meet later, my life was up there. One thing just, just led to another, that. right? I was in every cabaret convention. Started in 89, but I've been in every one. The cabaret conventions are yearly events, yeah. right? What does that entail? We have four nights up at Lincoln Center, for one thing. Donald Smith died in 2012, so that's a year before he died. He asked me, he said, "Do you think this should go on after I'm after I'm gone?" Mm-hmm. I said, "Oh yes, Donald. Said, Would you like to do it?" <laughs> so, <laughs> Did you know so, what you were getting into? Was it was, was it I overwhelming? Was I had, because I thought it was a, a huge job, and I wasn't sure that I could do it. I was I couldn't believe he asked me. But once I started doing it, it was it was fulfilling too, because I love working with singers. I love picking out the right song for someone, advising on what they should sing, picking a theme for a night. This year, one night was Frank Lesser. One night was a tribute to G. Garland. 
I pick these nights. I pick the themes. I pick the singers. Mm-hmm. Most nights. Some, sometimes if someone's hosting like Andre Markovici and Jeff Harner, I let them basically choose their evening. Mm-hmm. I'll talk to them about what they would like to do. And I have suggestions, but I don't, I don't choose mm-hmm. the singers I ever know. But I do give a lot of singers breaks, and they, and they look forward to it. Singing on that beautiful stage at Lincoln Center at Rose Hall. Are you doing this not alone, but as artistic director? You're kind of at the helm of the ship. We have a managing director, so I don't have to deal with checks. Right. Balancing the books, going to the the bank. When I took this job in 2012, I had never sent an email. By the end of 13, 2013, I had... You can hold your head up high. Well, I didn't know how to type. I had a lot to learn, but I'm glad I did it. There was a board member who made me do it. Is this a paid position? Yes. It's it's, it's not a huge amount, but it's something that... Mm -hmm. So you're able to balance... All of these things, going on the road, singing in cabarets, managing this. I've got a lot of energy, thank God. But I do love it. Do you worry about the fact that there could be a generation coming up that doesn't know who the hell Barbara Cook is or Frank (laughs) Lesser is or any of those bold-faced names that really impacted the world of musical theater? Well, that's my job, is that that doesn't happen. I was in Colorado, Durango, Colorado. Our little girl's 15 did a beautiful version of Stardust. And her sister, who's 17, did The Way You Look Tonight. Also, I Only Have Eyes For You. And all these great songs, they are learning these songs. And once they learn them, they love them. Oh, that's good. Then their friends come, mm-hmm. then they aren't forgotten. Mm-hmm. How often have you joined forces with your singing siblings? We used to come together, you know, Christmas concerts in Oklahoma. But we're all coming together for my mother's concert at Carnegie on May 29th. My sister, she's headlining on a beautiful cruise ship, Oceania, from San Diego to Costa Rica. I took two weeks off to do that with her. In, oh, how cool. Uh huh. I watched her. She does these wonderful tributes to Ella Fitzgerald or to Aretha Franklin. She has, has she been part of the convention? She has not. Uh, well, hello. Donald used her one time before he died. And she's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I'd like to use. I asked her this year. She does. She could do a Lady Gaga song. She's that kind of strength. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to use her maybe next year. So how did this morph into Broadway? Was that a real goal for you? I want to be. I would love to do Broadway, and I wish there. I wish there'd be another part to come along. <laughs> this summer, I did uh, five weeks of Love Noel with Steve Ross at the Irish Rep. And I loved it. I got to play the women in Noel Coward's life. So Gertrude Lawrence, Elaine Stritch, Marlene Dietrich. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I had fun. Mm-hmm. I even played, played the queen mum. Mm-hmm. I love flexing those muscles now and then because I, like I said, I, when I was acting, I miss singing. When I was singing, sometimes I miss acting. Right, right. I'd love to do them both. I just wonder if that's just not a hard transition to make, but you're kind of anomalous, right? There aren't a whole lot of talented people who can just easily flow from one to another, right? Or am I being unfair? People have noticed that, and to me it comes naturally to flow from one to the other. I have one of these these brains that can do, they call it multitasking, actually you're doing one thing at a time, but you do them quickly. You Mm -hmm. go from one to the other quick. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do have that ability, and I'm glad I do, because I, I love them all, and I'd like to do them all. Did you ever not get jobs? There's always downtime when you... When you do have to do... I in the mean, beginning. The first days in L.A., I was singing waitress. And yeah, yeah. Those kind of things. And, and I'd prefer to be a singing waitress. I think a couple, first couple of jobs I had in New York were not singing, and those were miserable, just being a waitress, trying to pay your rent. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. hard. Was it hard for you to get an agent once you got here? Agents, it's interesting. When you're young, you can get agents. Hmm. You get to be my age, it's hard to hold on to an agent. Really? Even though you've got a track record? Yeah. Because they really do want to take on young people. You know, it, that never dawned on me 
and I find that incredibly unsettling. When you're an institution, what's the downside? Well, agents have limited time, and they, they, they want to focus on people that are getting a lot of work. And young actresses are getting a lot of work. Yeah, but your name precedes you, so somebody's going to contact you. I, hey, Katie, I, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, I, I do have an agent I've been with for years named Gary Krasny. They keep their eyes out for something that's right for me. But, you know, they have young people that are working all the time, taking, taking a lot of focus. Well, aren't you working all the time? In cabaret, but they're not getting me those jobs. The Irish rep job was nice to do that again, to be in equity and to get those kind of... What was that like for you to be on the road? Did you enjoy that? I love traveling. So yeah, you're I, really a free I love, spirit. I, I love hotel rooms. <laughs> some you like the mini bar? Is that what it is? Some people don't. I just love it. I just... I, a change of atmosphere is a lovely, lovely thing. And I, I, love, I love touring. Last, last year, the Mabel Mercer Foundation every year has, has a cruise. And we were in... I flew to Rome for five days before the cruise started. And my husband had never seen Rome, so I was at was, was the best time. So you can kind of pick and choose, and especially at this point in your life, which is, must be very empowering. That is, that is wonderful. Were there ever any doubts like, oh, gosh, I don't know now? I was seeing someone that lived in Norfolk, Virginia. He'd gotten a job in Norfolk, Virginia. And I was flying in a weekend here and there and everywhere. And, and at one point, because I want maybe, maybe this relationship should go on, I was thinking... He said maybe you should get a job in real estate here in Norfolk. Who's buying yeah. houses in Norfolk? Okay. Okay. Well, Chesapeake Bay. Lovely views of the Chesapeake okay. Bay. Okay, sorry. And actually, as I was considering for about five minutes or whatever it was, I, got, I became ill at my stomach. Because you thought, oh, my God, is this going to be I my cannot, future? I cannot, I cannot give this up, and I cannot go into real estate. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So that, that relationship came to an end. Because I had to do this. Mm -hmm. so and at that, at that period, my life, it was slow. I was not getting the job. So there was a starving artist kind of thing. Starving that, artist thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should give up this little tiny apartment I have in New York and move to Norfolk, become a real estate agent, have a different kind of life. Mm -hmm. But I became physically ill. So that's a sign, right? Well, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's more than an omen. Yeah. Well, that's it. Uh huh. Well, I guess when you know in your soul also, it's not even so much that I, I was born to do this. I have the talent to do this. You see, you have to, those two things have to marry. I mean, it's wonderful to have the drive. Yeah. You know, what happens when you, yeah. you can't carry it out? Yeah. Well, both of those things. I had the drive, but I also know this is my gift. This is what I was given. Mm -hmm. I have to use it. I was thinking to myself as you were talking about this with this potential both. <laughs> is your husband in the business? No. I met him at a benefit in 97. It was one of those benefits, our musical theater benefit, Tim Jerome. You know, Madeline Guilford was there that night, you know, Jack Guilford's wife. Oh, the actor. Yes, yeah. Andra Lee, who's actually gone on to direct some of my shows, my cabaret shows, the original Tiger Lily and Peter Pan. That night with all these... God, it's all so incestuous. It is. And there's this gentleman who's, uh, he, loves, he loves the theater. My husband loves the theater. Well, I mean, that would be a prerequisite, that, wouldn't that, it? That's I mean, what's interesting. I have singer friends whose husbands have never gone to their shows. That's fucked up. That's, that's, that'd be hard. My husband's my biggest champion. Just loves what I do. And he's cool with you flitting all over the place. Sometimes I take him with me. I'm taking with him me. We're going to the Caymans. And we'll be married 20 A sin years. of omission if you didn't take him <laughs> to the Caymans. We're going to have a great time. It's our 20th anniversary. So he's not in the theater? Or not in the in theater. It. He was in marketing, so he has an idea, has ideas for me now and then about what we should do. Very cool. If I were your fairy godmother and I <laughs> said to you, KT, what is it that you haven't done that you want me to see if I can help you achieve, what would you say to me? Well, I do love Broadway. And in fact, I got a call a couple of years ago. Fran Lansman saw me at something. I was at the Dutch Street Club, the, you know, the National Arts Club. And the, 
She said, you'd be a good Mama Morton in Chicago. My agent got the call, and we'll push a seven audition, and then, then it fell through. Mm-hmm. So maybe that'll happen. Are you auditioning for roles? Do they come your way? And do you want to make a Broadway commitment? I did the Irish Rep here on 22nd Street. I did for six weeks, eight performances a week, and I loved it. I could still go to the office. Check well, I guess it's if it, it, when it's in your DNA, and, and you that's what you, you know that this you, is what you, you have time. to do. You make time yeah. What were some of your favorite roles and experiences? What makes you smile when you go back in your brain? Well, that's interesting in your history. because I, when I was doing this Noel Coward show with Steve Ross, I thought, this is, I'm having the time of my life. Died and gone to heaven? Because, yeah, because I'm going to play Elaine Stritch. I knew Elaine, but I got, she came to see me at the Algonquin. I got to play Elaine Stritch and, and Gertrude Lawrence. I got to play these great ladies. And that, so that flexes my acting muscles, but also the singing, singing different ways, too, different, different parts. So I thought, I'm, this is the best time I've ever had because I'm in my prime. I'm in my prime right now. I couldn't have played Marlene Dietrich 20 years ago or Elaine Stritch 20 exactly. years ago. Exactly. I'm right here. This is right for me right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with Steve Ross, who is a dear, dear, wonderful interpretive coward. Mm-hmm. So, and in fact, I sing If Love Were All in that show. And that's, that was Noel Coward's most autobiographical song. Wow. And it really means a lot to me. And, and I heard it first on a Barbara Cook recording, that same recording. Life is very rough and tumble for a humble chanteuse. Mm. Hey ho, if love were all. That says it all. So I got to do that. Mm-hmm. I got to be part of a Shakespeare company years ago at, at the Old Globe Theater. And um, Jack O'Brien was directing. Oh my God. So, I mean, you're doing dramatic. I, I loved it. Well, yeah. I loved wow. it. But, like I say, singing, when you get to sing at that stage at, at Lincoln Center, or the stage at Carnegie Hall, it's, it's a, it's a well, you're job. your own boss there, and that's what's so wonderful, that yeah. you control it all. I have to tell you, when I read that you performed in the Oak Room at the Algonquin, yes. many years ago on public radio, there was a show called Arts Alive from the Algonquin that yeah. I, and I have to use the term in quotes, hosted. The theme of the show was a very famous person would invite his or her very famous friends for lunch at the Algonquin, a la Dorothy Parker. And oh. they would sit at a round table over there in the corner, and I would sit with the producer whose family was affiliated with the Algonquin. And then at 1 o'clock, I would join the table of the bold-faced names, and I'd introduce everybody, and the host would start the conversation. Now, my job there was to make sure that the conversation would flow. And just because you are somebody super famous in the theatrical world doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to do this. And my favorite story about that was was when Wendy Wasserstein was there with Christopher Durang and Paul Rudd, and they all went to the Yale Drama School. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, this is getting away into inside baseball. You know, yeah, right. do you remember the time that oh, that yeah. professor did yeah, this? Right, yeah. right. So finally, I just kind of barged to him and I said, Wendy, how do you write a play? Uh, and I'm not saying, oh, aren't you a genius, Andy? Because no. I couldn't imagine sitting there and writing KT, colon, when are we going to go out to do the, you know, whatever. And 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 she answered it, wow. you know, and it was really wonderful. And I met the most amazing people. And my favorite other story about that was walking into the Algonquin one Sunday, and there was this huge guy sitting kind of curled up in a chair in the lobby, and it was Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Wow. And so the history of the Oak Room and the Algonquin, I bet when you leave these mortal oh, coils, I, that I that's got to be such those a... nights. Marion Seld is in the audience. Kitty Carlisle. Yeah. I'm sure she was part of the table. Was she part of the table? She did There's come so to one. Yes. Talking about George Gershwin. She, she had a romance with George Gershwin. Wow. He spent so much time with her. He had a piano sent to her apartment. 
That's so wild. And, and she told me after George died, she thought, oh, well, at least I'll have his piano. <laughs> wow. And they said the movers came to get it because it was rented. <laughs> that just doesn't happen today. No. You know, I mean. You don't I, meet I, people who knew George Gershwin. I used to look forward to those opening nights of the Algonquin because you'd have those people sprinkled in the audience to play to that house. Right. Those people. Right. And they're gone. That It's golden age. In fact, the kids, they're, when they're learning these songs now in school, we think of them as, we call them Amer- Great American Songbook. Which right, I, right, I, right. I don't like to use that term because I think Noel Coward is not Great American Songbook, obviously. And Edith Piaf is not Great American Songbook. We sing a lot of songs from places other than America. I understand. But the kids in the schools call it the golden age. These, eight, these teenagers, when they sing songs from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, call it the golden age, songs mm-hmm. from the golden age. Mm-hmm. So that was the golden age. Right, right. And right. those people who, thank God we'd met them, are no longer with us. They were part of, of the golden age. Is there something really big that you want to do that you haven't done and you think you can pull it off at some point? That's a good question. Judy Garland, her centennial is um, 22. 2022, yes. Okay. I'd like to have the big hall at Carnegie Hall. I just do a. That seems like a no brainer. Yeah. Well, it does seem no brainer, but I want it to happen. Mm-hmm. She's influenced so many singers. Like Barbara Cook influenced me. A lot of people. Judy was great. I want to have more young people involved. There's a young girl involved with that concert at Rose Hall for Judy. Uh, Hannah Jane Peterson was 18. Anais Reno is this wonderful jazz singer, and she's she hasn't yet turned 16. And she blew them away at Rose Hall. Crazy. Yeah. This is our future. I want that. That's what I want. But you seem to be naming only females. (laughs) Last year, we had Gustavo Palma from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. Oh, Colorado. Okay. (laughs) He's saying, you don't know me. (laughs) Well, that's probably what's in a lyric. (laughs) Oh, so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it's very unusual in men, as you know, that vulnerability... Women were just melting. I am finding guys, too. Well, that's that's a relief. <laughs> yes, I, I am finding guys. And no one can ever accuse me of not having enough men on the stage. I do have a lot of... I'm finding guys. There's that's excellent. Great guys. That's excellent. Yeah. We're going to end the show with a sample of KT's talent. If Love Were All by Noel Coward. It's his most autobiographical song. And the first time I heard it, it was done by Barbara Cook. It meant a lot to her. It means a lot to me. It means a lot to anyone who has this life, who cannot do anything else but this. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Life is very rough and tumble for a humble disease. One can betray one's troubles never, whatever occurs. Night after night have to look bright, whether you're well or ill. People must laugh their fill You mustn't sleep Till dawn comes creeping Though I never really grumble Life's a jumble indeed And in my efforts to succeed I've had to formulate a creed I believe in doing what I can Crying when I must, in laughing when I choose. Hey, if love were all I should 